This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know that feeling when you have something that's really been bothering you, or when you've been fixating on something in your life that's looming large in your mind? We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big and small, and I think we inherently know that when we keep them bottled up inside, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, and to figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. Therapy isn't just for people who have experienced major trauma. There are plenty of benefits it can have for everyone. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. And don't underestimate the power of boundaries either. Those are super important. If you've been wondering if you should give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's a fully online experience and designed from the ground up to be convenient and customizable to your schedule. To get started, you just have to fill out a brief questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash filmdaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash filmdaily. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, May 22nd, 2023. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Fast X, or I guess Fast 10. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Editor Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Slash Film Writer and Box Office Analyst Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Uh, you know, before we get into this, Ryan, you know, Fast 10 did come out this weekend at the box office. How, how did it do? Um, uh, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, <laughs> domestically, it did not do particularly well. The series is really running out of steam um, in North America. So it debuted to 67 million uh, stateside, which... Uh, only three actual main Fast and Furious movies have made less on their opening weekend domestically, that being Too Fast, Too Furious, the original Fast and Furious, and Tokyo Drift. Um, Hobbs and Shaw also made a little less, but that was a spinoff, not a mainline entry. Um, now, internationally, it's a bit of a different story. Um, uh, it it, it uh, made $251.5 million overseas, that included almost $80 million in China, which was huge for China, particularly after the pandemic. Um, but again, you know, this movie came with a $340 million production budget, um, which was just unbelievably inflated in part thanks to the pandemic, but mostly because you have a cast of like 15 people that are commanding huge salaries now. So, um, uh, you know, so the the early finances here are not kind. Your 318 million opening weekend worldwide. If if you get like a 2.5 multiplier, 
across the world, you might get somewhere close to 800 million, but that's still not going to be enough to make a profit. So, you know, um, the numbers are not great. If you're universal, are you deciding to make this a two-parter or are you you okay with the three-parter that Vin Diesel was suggesting? Fast and Furious 11 will wrap the series up. I am very confident of that. (laughs) Ah. Ben, you're a huge fan of the series. Yes. Uh, Actually, you know what? We're going to get into our spoiler discussion, but we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, now that we're back, uh, Ben, you're a big fan of this franchise. What did you think of Fast 10? I kind of loved it, Peter. I kind of loved it. Um, I know that it's been getting a lot of divisive reactions from what I've seen online anyway. And uh, my kind of um, line that I'm drawing is like, that's kind of what these movies are now. Like in a (laughs) a post-Paul Walker world, I feel like the franchise has shifted a little bit after losing you know, such a pillar of what these movies were. Uh, but in the post Paul Walker um, form of what these, these fast films are now, I feel like this was pretty good. It was like pretty much what I expect and what I ask for when I go to see a, a big movie like this, which is like complete nonsense, but highly, highly entertaining. And uh, yeah, like Vin Diesel taking himself way too seriously. So yeah, I, I kind of <laughs> loved it. Ben, what do you mean too seriously? Come on now. (laughs) I mean, in in purely entertaining Vin Diesel fashion, just as he's done for like the entirety of this franchise. So, you know, like I said, it's kind of like it's it's more of the same, but uh, but in a really entertaining way for me. It's funny to me because this franchise is kind of at odds with itself in a way that I think Vin Diesel thinks this is like people 
like you know, he made that quote about how the the mythology of this is compared in compared to the Tolkien Lord of the Ring. Like he he really thinks that people care about these characters that this is a serious thing. And my enjoyment of these movies is how ridiculous they are. And yeah, maybe I, I th- yeah. And maybe yes, Vin Diesel taking himself too seriously. But like, you know, when it, it pans up, you know, spoilers. This is a spoiler discussion. So if you haven't seen this film, you know, tune out now. But uh, you know, when it pans up to his like wedding photo and he's wearing um uh what is that? Um He's like white jeans and a wife beater. <laughs> yeah, wife beater, yeah. Um it, it's it's so funny, but like I'm sure he thought that was not supposed to be funny, but the whole yeah, that's audience very in, in character with the Dominic Toretto vibe, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he takes this stuff very seriously. He always has. I think he said like two movies ago, he expected one of these to win best picture. I mean, he's like, he was yeah, talking he's, about, he's, I think that was furious seven. He was saying like, if the Academy wanted to stay relevant, they needed to nominate it for best picture. Yeah. I mean, he, he's very much like in his own world, but I think, yeah, that, that is a huge part of why I love these movies so much because I, I really feel like he genuinely believes all this stuff. And, and he actually puts that in passionate in passionate ways into the making of these films, which you, I don't know. I mean, I guess you can argue with the results, but I, I tend to really love these movies. So I don't really know what else to say about that. Yeah. Well, did you guys, so I don't know what your experience with these has been, but I'll, I'll when I went to go see The Fate of the Furious, which was the eighth one uh, with a good friend of mine out here in Austin, we went to like a, it was like a regal cinema, I think, because it was like the only showing we could get into. And like half the audience was so into it in like the way that people were into like Avengers Endgame, like they were so on board. But then like the other half of the audience is on board in the way that like I'm on board where it's like I'm in on the joke and, I, and I'm and i here for it. And so it's so interesting, like the stark divide. And, and to that point, when I went to go see Fast X, I just went by myself on a Thursday night last week and, and I was sitting next to a couple of guys who were there and the Alamo Drafthouse does these recaps of franchises before the movie starts. And they were talking about these movies like in a way that it's like it is their mythology. It is their lore. They are so into this. And like I even tried to make a joke with them about Tokyo Drift taking place in the future. And they were just like, yeah, that's right. And then they moved right on like like this is just normal. And like they took it so seriously. So, you know, as much as we might view this as like, you know, a little bit of like a wacky thing, like some people really do take this thing really seriously these sound like my people ryan i love them <laughs> <laughs> oh i was into it i was i was not begrudging it one bit but i was like man okay all right you guys I, well, no more jokes here enjoy your movie guys <laughs> I, I don't know i think i went into this expecting it to be a mess with justin lynn leaving at the last minute and louis Luterre coming in uh you know during production actually not in the last minute like during like in the first minute, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but what made this movie for me is Jason Momoa as Dante. His like he feels like he understood the assignment. He understood uh, the reason I like these movies, and he just went over the top and he was unhinged. I loved it. Anyways, Ryan, you you have not given your uh, brief reaction to this this film. Oh yeah, I would say it's like in the middle of the pack for me, much like everyone. I think that like once Paul Walker left, like I wrote a little thing for us about it. And it wasn't until I started writing that piece that like I just did not realize how much Paul Walker's Brian O'Connor was really like the actual like heart and soul of these movies, truly. And what more than that, though, Vin Diesel's Dominic Toretto really needs a grounded counterbalance. And he just hasn't had that since even once Hobbs left, like once Dwayne Johnson's Hobbs left and we get to that in a minute, but like you know, you really lost anything that could keep these 
you know, Dom like centered a little bit. And, and <laughs> so, so I think that like that having been said, I liked this more than F9 for sure. Maybe about as much as fate of the furious, but you know, not as much as like fast five, fast six, furious seven, which is as a trilogy, just incredible. And, um, but yeah, so, I mean, it's middle of the pack for me. I'm with Ben. It's kind of exactly what you sort of expect to see. And I don't know if I kind of loved it, but I, but I did really enjoy myself. And more than anything, I think they did take some pretty big swings and I'm more interested to see what happens in fast 11 now as a result. What did you think of, you know, this franchise for at least the last bunch of films, Justin Lin, uh, you know, it's been kind of the the grandfather of this of, of the last films, and now you know this film. It's Louis it, Ben. What did you, how did you think he did with the, the the situation that was handed to him? Yeah, I thought he actually did exceptionally well. I um yeah, especially given the idea of like walking in. I think Justin Lin left like one or two weeks into production or something. And the idea of coming in for a movie that is budgeted so high as Ryan was talking about earlier and um, essentially like having to put the train tracks down, you know, milliseconds before the train lumbers across it. I thought Lateria did a great job in making this like a cohesive, uh, you know, highly entertaining, watchable movie that really does not feel that far afield from something that I think Justin Lin would have turned in. I mean, it's not that different tonally. Uh, you know, you've got the Jason Momoa aspect, which sort of throws things off in a, in a really chaotic, wonderful way. But like the re- the whole rest of the movie, I mean, it, it just, it feels like a fast movie in, in the best kind of way, I think. So um, I'm happy with what he did here under really, really extreme circumstances. And I'm very happy that that Universal was, was pleased enough with what he did that they're going... Uh, you know, they've already hired him to come back for whatever Fast 11 is going to be called. And I'm excited to see what he does with a little bit of actual prep time for that one. It sounds like he sort of has a plan already, though, because he talked about that a bit. Like the the reason they were able to leave this off on a cliffhanger is because they knew where this was all going to end up. And like he talked a lot about how he pretty much rewrote the whole script. So it does seem like he put a bit more of a stamp on it than you know, I don't know that he just came in and directed the script that Lynn left behind. I think that he, and I do think for as much as it does feel like a fast movie as we've come to know them, I, it does feel like there was some stuff in there that felt a little bit unique, particularly Jason Momoa's villain, particularly some of the like, you know, splitting up everyone instead of having like this big group dynamic. Like, I don't know, like it, it did feel like there was a bit like a, an odd element of freshness to it that I I think you could probably attribute to him. Yeah. Fast five is the film that got me to kind of love this franchise before that. I was kind of ambivalent. I liked the first one. I liked Tokyo drift, but I I wouldn't say I was a, you know, I was part of the family, but when, once I saw fast five, I was, I was in, I, I, I got, you know, it became bigger. I got how ridiculous that like this could be, but I didn't, I didn't expect that Fast Five was going to become such a pivotal story moment for the for the the climax of the of this franchise. Uh, ben, what did you think of them retconning uh, Jason Momoa into Fast Five? 
Yeah, I kind of love that too. I thought they did a really great job with that. I think that's very much in line with what these movies are doing now in terms of like building that mythology and like, you know, in the moment watching Fast Five in 2011, I never would have thought, oh, okay, clearly there's more story here. You know, there, there's a curtain that that I still haven't seen behind. Um, but I think, you know, uh, all of it worked really, really well because I think in part because the cinematographer of Fast 10 is also the same guy who worked on Fast Five, and they like he remembered what the lighting setups were for those specific things, and they they went back into the uh, Universal's archives and pulled out like uh, pre-existing footage and stuff that you know alternate takes that wasn't used, and they were able to match the look of it really well, I thought, and, and incorporate uh, Jason Momoa into those things, and I think they said like every shot is a hybrid between you know having some sort of like CG. Uh, sort of touch up kind of thing and also like practical recreations of what they did back then. Yeah. And I thought it, it looked really good. And from a story perspective, it makes total sense. I, I love the idea that I actually wrote an article for Slash Film about how Fast uh, 10 is basically like the um, Avengers Infinity War of the Fast and Furious franchise. And, you know, from in more ways than just it ends on a cliffhanger, because I think the idea of, um, you know, a, a villain that seems like genetically engineered to, uh, go up against everything that the heroes stand for is what Jason Momoa is in this, you know, in, in this movie, I think. And um, the idea that like going back to fast five as the sort of uh, Genesis for this whole thing and the, the origin point for his um, quest for revenge just makes a lot of sense narratively. So yeah, I, I really dug that. Ryan, what was your favorite sequence of this movie? That's tough to say, but I do I do want to say, though, like on the Fast Five thing, I think it does almost work as like a direct sequel to Fast Five. And I thought that could be wonkier than it ended up being and pretty amazed at how well they pulled that off. Um, but I th- favorite sequence, I mean. That bomb rolling through <laughs> is pretty is pretty wild, like, but I, I know, you know what? I take it back. I loved the street chase with. John Cena's character like toward the end and I'll tell you why because I think John Cena is like again proving he is so so good as an actor like you actually feel for him in this movie and not to get too ahead of it but like man is it it is it should have been obvious to all of us that he was gonna die like he they were setting it up like so like just giving him this emotional journey and I thought that his like setup for his death like really actually worked for me. Like I felt something and like I really liked that scene a lot. But I actually have strong fear that that's not actually going to pay off, which, again, we can get to here in a little bit. But like, I, you know, I have no I no longer have any faith that like anything that has any emotional weight to it is going to stay that way. It's interesting because I kind of expected, uh, uh, you know, I don't know how to say this. I kind of expected with uh, seeing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 that we would get more casualties, that it would be more fin- finality. And this film felt more what I was expecting in terms of casualties than Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. But at that, what you, what you said is true. Like, I, you know, can you trust any of these death sequences uh, from what we get later in this film? Uh Ben, did Jacob really sacrifice himself? Is, is he really dead? You know, there is definitely a historical precedent in these movies for characters coming back from the dead in, in ludicrous ways, ridiculous ways. Um, I actually kind of think that this one's going to stick. I, I think that because the, the sort of emotional heft uh, is kind of there for this one, I think it would 
I don't know, unless they can come up with some really, really, really good reason to bring him back. Um, I, I kind of feel like with this being so close to the actual finish line for this story, I think it, it doesn't really make sense to bring him back. But, you know, we'll see. The, the yeah, only I, reason I, to bring him uh, back, I think, is I would love to see him in The Rock. Uh, you know, two WWE wrestlers actually share screen time together in the, in this franchise. But, yeah, it, 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 what do you think? Uh, I think the yeah. only way you do it is if you finally just, like, jump the shark and he becomes like a cyborg terminator type like care like like if you find <laughs> one of my favorite internet theories of all time was before the fate of the furious and someone made like an incredibly compelling video like theorizing that dominic toretto was a terminator and like it was one of my favorite things of all time and like that obviously didn't turn out to be true but like you know unless you're gonna really jump the shark and and hobbs and shaw kind of sort of laid some groundwork for that sort of thing so like i don't know unless you're gonna do that don't just bring him back yeah, absolutely. Because Idris Elba's character, I believe, was shot in the head at one point in in Hobbs and Shaw, and then using this like experimental technology and biotech and all this stuff was was brought back to life. So there's definitely like technological reasoning, sort of lore in world that they can use to bring these characters back. But um, yeah, my my hope is that uh, Jacob Toretto stays dead, just because I feel like that sacrifice actually meant something for those characters in that arc that he actually had with Dom over the past two movies. And it sort of served as a redemption for his whole like thing in F9 too, right? Like yeah. causing all that problem and like, and like, okay, hey Dom, I'm saving your son, be better than me. Like, I don't know. I just thought like that really worked for me. Like as like a, and again, credit to John Cena, who has just become such an unbelievably compelling actor. Um, but yeah, like that. So for me, I hope that sticks. Yeah, I I hope it sticks, but I have a feeling he's going to be back. My favorite sequence of this film is the Vatican bomb sequence, which is just so much fun, so ridiculous, so like crazy. But the whole thing ending with the bomb actually going off and now the fast crew is on the FBI most wanted list. They're now uh, considered terrorists. They're all over. Their faces are all over the media. How can anything? I mean, I think that alone signals the finality to this franchise because there's no way that you could get back to them pulling off heists and stuff again right like after that the thing about it is this has happened before maybe not quite to this international degree but there have been news broadcasts where people have been like this man dominic toretto is leading <laughs> a crew that has taken out you know city blocks or whatever like there this is definitely not a new thing for them to be you know highly publicized in terms of the, the utter chaos that they have wrought. So um, I think that's part of the reason why they were kind of like, you know, off the grid to some degree for, for a little while anyway. They seem to be back at the at the Toretto house and, and everything is fine. But um, my memory, and I, I did not revisit F9 before uh, rewatching Fast X but uh, or Fast 10, but my, my memory is that like, Dom and Letty were like almost out, off in a cabin somewhere or something like that. Pro <laughs> probably because, uh, you know, because of that, that sort of like highly publicized um, you know, the, the uh, international crime angle of what they're doing here. But um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not willing to go as far as to say, like, they can never have a normal life again because, like, they were having a barbecue at the beginning of this movie and, and you know, they've been uh, public enemy number one several times before. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I, I agree with Ben on that one. Like, it, uh, it, it, it is weird. That's right. In F9, they were, like, out in the middle of nowhere and then now it's like, ah, screw it, we're back at the house. <laughs> 
Well, the house has been destroyed this time. But um, <laughs> near the end of the movie, uh, we have this big, one of the big reveals in this film, one of the big twists. Uh, so Cypher and Letty find this operating submarine in the Arctic. It just happens to be right outside of their their prison break in this, uh, like this prison in the middle of nowhere. Um, and who is operating the submarine? It's Giselle. How is she still alive, Ben? I am so upset at this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, even I can't defend this one, guys. I, I, I love these movies. Uh, this moment left me really baffled. I was hoping really really hoping that this was going to be like a a twin sister scenario because i don't think the fast and furious franchise has pulled that yet um i don't think they played that particular card yet but uh louis leterrier said in an interview like oh i was really happy to be working with gal gadot who was reprising her role of giselle like he he explicitly said that she was playing the same character um yeah yeah so i'm i was really bummed to hear that because uh I don't know. I mean, she fell on that runway in Fast Six, and like, I just don't. I guess using that that Hobbs and Shaw sort of biotech thing, maybe you could you could justify it. But that's where I don't know. I mean, there's there's always like people have different lines in the sand that they draw with these movies. Where I'm sure a long time ago, people were like, you know what, this is too ridiculous. This is too over the line. I can't buy into what these movies are doing um they came really close with me in the in the space thing in f9 but i still i don't know not believed it as in like this is a real thing that could happen in our real world that you and i live in but i believed it as a thing that could happen in these movies and if if giselle just comes back again they have to have a really really compelling reason to bring her back and i'm i'm not convinced that we've seen that yet but i'll withhold full judgment until fast 11. Uh, yeah, that that really like because you also talk about like impactful deaths in this series. Like bringing Han back, like was a bit of a choice for sure. But even bringing Han back, he still was suffering that Giselle had died. Like yeah. oh, and, yeah. and and like so that you know that death and I mean that death in Fast and Furious Six really means something, and it meant something even in bringing Han back. Like and so. If you if you just suddenly bring her back and then Han's got to be upset, like then you got to deal with like where has she been? Han was really devastated by this. Like what I don't know. It really does. That one is tough to do. And I and again I who knows how they're gonna handle it. I'm sort of with you that like I'm gonna withhold judgment. I would have been much more on board if it was like hi I'm Giselle's twin sister. I'm with right, you. Right. They haven't pulled that card yet. Would have been more on board. But as of right now, I that was I was mostly on board with this movie. If I was like giving it a grade out of ten, that single moment took it down like two or three percentage points. For me. <laughs> the the emotional consequences, the fallout of that single decision, um, it's going to be like it's a lot to a lot of ground to cover in the next movie. Like they they, they have uh, set themselves up for a a story choice, a, a, a subplot that now is going to be a big deal. Whereas like they didn't have to go that way well but also but i guess it depends though because i mean and i don't know how much weight we're putting in this but like that plane went down han you know yeah let's talk about that because like because are are all four of them dead i don't think so absolutely (laughs) not right but like no way what's gonna happen is that the next film is gonna open the opening action sequence is gonna show what happened to them right what do you think happened peter i mean i'm sure that the the cars in the back of the plane got uh, you know, went out the back of the plane and somehow they landed onto the, the mountain or something. I don't know. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And they're going to just like drive up and scoop up Dom and and little B who are about to be, you know, pummeled by a, a broken dam. Uh, and they're going <laughs> to out, they're gonna out, out drive the water as it blasts away, right? Like that's the opening action sequence. God, for, I want to see Fast, Fast and Furious 11 right now. Uh... <laughs> it's got to be. I hate that like that just made me like, yes, let's do that. Now, I'll tell you the other thing I'm really, I, this is going way off topic, but Jason Statham is only really in this movie for one scene. But yeah. holy crap, what they set up him doing, I am so in for just like watching Shaw just absolutely go scorched earth on everyone, like like lone wolf style. I really hope we get to actually see the consequence of that in the next movie. By the way, I haven't read any reviews on this, but I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people love Tokyo Drift. They love Han. I'm guessing there's a lot of people that are really mad with uh, how Han goes to Shaw's character like they've I mean they kind of made up in the previous film but like going to him for help and like is that one of the sticking points that people are having I haven't read any anything specifically about that either um I you know I, I was uh I didn't particularly think that that was a great decision to <laughs> to uh you know that whole justice for Han there was like a whole campaign around that um and we've talked about that a lot on the podcast before so we don't really need to like rehash that whole thing but uh I I, I don't particularly love that decision but um but I, I think at this point I've kind of like bought into it like you know th- there's no there's no point in resisting that any further I'm just curious to see what they do with the story that they're telling and like Ryan said I, I was curious to see what happened, but we only got it for like five minutes in this movie. So I, I think there's definitely more stuff to mine there in the next film. They're setting up way too much for this last film, which I could see why universal when they saw this film might've said to Vin Diesel in, uh, in a private conversation, <laughs> but have been like, maybe should we do two? Like, you know, like maybe that was just like a thought of an executive, and then he, he says it on an uh, inter- interview with Fandango. But ben, what do you think? Because we, we've already heard what Ryan thinks about this. Do you think we're going to get one film or two? Um, I think Ryan's probably right that the budget just doesn't seem to make sense. As much as like Universal loves franchises, as do all the studios right, right now especially. But um, as much as they would probably love to sort of like stretch this out as, as far as possible, I think I think the whole thing is building to... We're bringing back every character who has ever meant anything in these movies because the theme of family has been so strong throughout this entire franchise that the final film is going to be astronomically expensive. And if they stretch that over two movies, I don't really think that they're going to be able to like cut that price in half. It's more going to be just doubling it for more, you know, more story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think Ryan's sort of a you know business perspective of this is probably going to win out, although. Um, yeah, narratively, like maybe they could they could squeeze it out if they the, if they had to. But. The only thing I, I just imagine that conversation with Vin Diesel, someone at Universal is like they're in a screening room and it's some higher up exec who's got a bunch of other stuff on his mind. And he's like, why don't we stretch this out to three? And then I just imagine someone comes in the room and whispers in that guy's ear and he just screams, how much? You know, just like <laughs> someone told him how much this movie cost. And then like the only thing I can imagine is that like, if you decided we're going to shoot 11 and 12 at, because the, the other thing is like this cast is just insane to wrangle. If you somehow did the thing of like, let's film two at the same time. And they're each like not quite two hour movies. So you film like essentially one very long movie and you cut it up. And so then maybe, maybe that movie costs $400 million. But if you get two movies out of it, 
then you have two $200 million blockbusters. That's the only way that I see it working, but I'm not sure if they could even pull that off. Yeah, because I think there's like protections in place for the actors where I think that Superman 2, uh, the Richard Donner, um, well, I guess like Richard Donner was taken off that movie, right? Like, But yeah. I, I think there were protections in place because that was originally split off. Um, actors like basically have to be paid double if you split a project like that into two movies so um i think that's still like you know if vin diesel make, is making 30 million dollars per movie or whatever right well i'm saying but that's 60, what, but. that's what i'm saying maybe the budget gets to like 400 million right and and like it it gets insane but you you know like it's e- but, even if it gets to 500 million you split 500 million in half that's 250 which is better than this yeah well yeah anything's better than 340 <laughs> but like but 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 um I mean, yeah, I mean, but I'm just trying to get to a point of like, if Universal really wants that to happen, yeah, I would, I would, I would lean more towards them doing a conclusion with Fast 11. And then I, I think I just saw a story floating around right before we jumped on that. Like, then you go to spinoffs, right? Like you have a ton of characters now. Yeah. You could easily just start, you bring a cup, one or two of the actors we already like into anchor it. And, and then you, and then you do smaller cast spinoffs where you can then make a movie with a hundred million dollar budget that could make you four or five hundred million dollars and you do a bunch of those that's what i think the yeah. the math would be from here on out uh the family keeps on growing in this movie cypher kind of becomes a member of the crew is cypher now part of the family no i don't think so i think it's a temporary kind of thing because she essentially i mean she didn't pull the trigger herself but she essentially executed elena in i think that was furious seven which is like dom's the the mother of dom's child so that's that's a real tough one to come back from um see if, if you buy into the drama of this entire franchise i understand why people would not like this movie but if you're just there to for entertainment, some more, uh, you know, some, eat, eat some popcorn, drink some soda, and to to laugh and, and enjoy yourself, I feel like this, this movie was a lot of fun. But I, I can definitely see like you know the unbelievability of some of the the actions in this film. Yeah, that I is. Mean, I don't. She did pretty much kill the. Yeah, she. I mean, you're right. She didn't pull the trigger, but Cipher's not a trigger pulling lady here. Like yeah. that, she killed. The mother of Dom's child. That is not to be ignored. Yeah, I think Jason's uh, Jason Momoa's uh, character is just such a um, an anarchic force that it's it's. I mean, it's like she said, like the enemy of my enemy kind of thing. Like that that uh, he he casts such a shadow that these um, you know uh, blood bound enemies almost in in Dom and Cipher now have to actually team up just to survive against this guy. So I feel like there's nothing in this movie. It's not like this film ended with Cypher at the barbecue or something, right? Like they, they haven't gone that far yet. I, I'm guessing like they'll continue to work together until Jason Momoa's character is taken down. And then Dom will somehow put her away in a prison or whatever at the end of Fast 11. So I don't think it's going to be like, they're going to a- accomplish their mission. And then he's going to welcome her into the family with, with open arms. Yeah. Uh, Unless they somehow retcon like Cypher had a twin (laughs) and that was the person that pulled the trigger and oh no, I'm better Cypher or God knows, but. Oh no. Uh, One of the reasons I love Fast Five so much is it introduced Dwayne Johnson to this franchise and you can say all you will about his recent (laughs) run of movies and how they have turned out. Uh, But I I love Hobbs and I, I I don't know. Obviously, him and Vin Diesel uh, had this 
notorious public feud. Uh, Vin Diesel wanted to get him back for this movie, which after seeing this movie completely makes sense. You almost need Hobbs to be in this movie, and the fact that they did they did it without him is, is crazy, because it, it would have been so much better with him in it. Uh, but he, you know, he didn't want to return. He, he wasn't going to return. He said on social media he wasn't going to return. But then in the end credit sequence, Dwayne Johnson is back as Hobbs. Ryan, what are your thoughts? Uh, now I will say. You have to set aside the real world of all of this to get behind this because Dwayne Johnson very publicly was like, I'm not doing the movie. Like, like he was like, I got better shit to do guys. And then like, as soon as it behooved him, he was like, Hey, do you think we could film a post credit scene where I come back? And like, and, but I will say this as a fan of these movies, I am unbelievably on board with Hobbs coming back. And I think it makes every bit of sense narratively like, because that tag is like, yeah, Dom, this may have been your thing, but you know, Hobbs pulled the trigger, you know? So like, so yeah, Dante, which is Jason Momoa's character has every bit of motivation to go after Hobbs. And so it makes every bit of sense for him to come back. Like if you're going to bring anybody back, that's that guy seems like you have to bring him back. So I'm, I'm behind it, but the, but the real world of it all does sort of like, taint tainted a little bit because it's like the only time I've ever not really liked Dwayne Johnson. Uh, but, but you know, it, it, it narratively, yeah, I'm all for it. I mean, you know, this could very well could be like a, uh, an Andrew Garfield type of situation where he was just like denying, denying, denying being in no way home for so long. And like people kind of knew that he was going to come back. I think Dwayne Johnson may have just done a better job of selling the fact that he wasn't going to come back because I think he genuinely believed like, I'm not going to participate. And it, from an interview that I read with Louis Leterrier, it sounded like he came to, uh, I think it was him and Vin Diesel came to The Rock and said, hey, like watch the screening of this movie. And if you love the movie, then we would love to have you in a post credit sequence. And Johnson watched the movie and actually really enjoyed it and then agreed to come back after that. So I think it, it was not necessarily a case of like, Dwayne Johnson being like, oh, my career's taking a little bit of a hit here. Like, nobody likes Jungle Cruise. I need to come back for Fast 11. <laughs> I think it was like, you know, more magnanimous in, in the way that it was presented. I suppose if you take the people behind the gigantic blockbuster movie that need you to think this is nice at their word, <laughs> that, yeah, that that's, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not as, um, I, my rose-colored glasses are not on for that one. But like, but, but either way. Like, cause here's my thing. If black Adam had been a runaway success and he was suddenly working on black Adam too, and whatever else, do you really think he'd be doing this? I don't, but that's, I, but that, I think he probably wouldn't have agreed to even watch the movie. Um, in, right. In that, that's my thing is like, scenario. so, so yeah. it's it some, it somehow comes back around, but, it, but again, having just watched like fast and furious five in the lead up to this, my God, like it's, it's easy to take for granted now, but that was a perfect moment of like movie star movie thing time where like perfect, actor perfect character and and for as good as fast five is it is as good as it is because of dwayne johnson it really is and like and i think you could say the same for fast and furious six and the movies that followed but like so i think having him back and having his presence back as part of the group rather than like having to carry a spinoff i'm really into that idea and and so i don't know i'm, I'm it makes me more excited for fast and furious 11 for sure well here's the thing uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson has been very vocal about, I, I don't think he said outright the name, 
But he, he suggested that Vin Diesel was very unprofessional to work with and uh, gave a bunch of... I think everybody's insinuated that the person he was talking about was Vin Diesel. Am I correct in that assumption? Oh, yeah. Candy-ass saga. The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think... I mean, it seems like he's going to have to be a big part of this upcoming film. Do you think he's going to return in like every scene he's going to be in is not going to be a scene with Vin Diesel? Do you think it's going to be like an own his own side mission? Or do you think he's going to have to come together with the team? Or it'll just be edited in a way that they never actually had to be on set together? I don't know. That seemed like one of those things where like maybe for, uh, I, th- I think it was the Fate of the Furious was the last one that they were in together that, that um, you know, the, the wound was too raw at that point. But like time heals all wounds and, and the idea of like them making so much money together uh, probably helps the idea of like, okay, I can come back and do one final movie with this guy kind of thing. Um, can I, so I, can I wouldn't I, be surprised. Can I read a quote from Dwayne Johnson from December of 2021? Sure. Okay. So this was after Dwayne, jo- after Vin Diesel made a public post, essentially begging Johnson to come back. Uh, Dwayne Johnson said, I told Diesel directly that I would not be returning to the franchise. I was firm yet cordial with my words and said that I would always be supportive of the cast and always root for the franchise to be successful, but there was no chance I would return. Vin's, Vin's recent public post was an example of his manipulation. I didn't like that he brought up his children in the post as well as Paul Walker's death. Leave them out of it. We had spoken months ago about this and came to a clear understanding. I don't know what changes between that and that, but that's pretty like that's a pretty, you know, public. <laughs> I, I think the thing that changes, Ryan, is like what you're saying before, yeah. like Black Adam bombs, you know. Right, and, but that's and... what I'm that, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Right. Is like that's what changes. That's the only thing that changes. And and for a guy to go, you know, and, and make it seem like an integrity move to not come back to this movie and then come back when it's convenient. It, it does taint it a little bit. Uh, do, do you think there was ever a plan to kill off? Hobbs in some kind of scene in this movie where we in don't actually movie? see his face or I mean it, it seems like you would in this movie that is so reliant on Fast Five I don't know it just seems like it, you need to have him in the movie in some way or maybe the next movie or something like if if Dwayne Johnson really wasn't going to come back like you would certainly have to address it I mean, that would just be so insane for them to kill uh, Dwayne Johnson's character like when he wasn't even in it, when he appeared in Hobbs and Shaw and was is probably waiting in the wings for this, you know, the main yeah. franchise to be over so we can go back and make a Hobbs and Shaw sequel for them to kill him off like off camera or something. That would be so infuriating. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if they would go that far, but um that's yeah, a good luckily point. we don't have to worry about that. Yeah, that's a good point because Vin Diesel probably gets a producer credit on those Hobbs and Shaw movies, right? So if he's going to do another one of those, it it, it 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 would be against, it would not help him to, to yeah, do that. Yeah, I would suspect so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what um, where's Mr. Nobody? Yeah, I had to go back and, and look at this after, uh, I think at the beginning of F9, they say, like, Mr. Nobody appears in a video message. He sends a message to uh tej and roman and ramsey and he says like i'm in a plane right now and you know the plane is being attacked i have really dangerous cargo you need to scramble a team and send somebody out to me and the video like cuts out basically and the the dangerous cargo i'm pretty sure was ramsey or i'm sorry not ramsey was uh was cypher and they um you know they broke cypher out of this plane and she becomes sort of like another you know she she uh returns to be 
a villain in, in the franchise, but we haven't really seen Mr. Nobody since then. It's probably just, be, you know, in real world terms because Kurt Russell doesn't want to be in all these movies or whatever. Um, but I think uh, he's just, th- these characters keep reference, referencing the fact that he's just like disappeared. And so I think it's all just building to whatever the final movie is, they're going to get every single person back. And they're just like, you know, making the the financial strategic business decision to, okay, let's not have Kurt Russell in this movie and we don't have to pay him X number of million dollars just to like stand around when we could get Alan Richson to come in and be, you know, the the, the sort of agency guy, the, the force or whatever um, in this film instead. And then it turns out that Ames was working with Dante all along. Uh, a little ridiculous that he was able to somehow become the head of the agency in the process to pull off this like entire plan of Dante's, but it's been in the works since 2011 or whatever. So uh, yeah, he's definitely playing the long game on that one and everything. Luckily the timing worked out where, I mean, maybe Ames is responsible for Mr. Nobody being gone. Like we, we don't know the full extent of like how far his tendrils go. Um, But yeah, maybe that that's part of the sort of like larger conspiracy about where Mr. Nobody is. Uh, and, and that's why he was able to sort of step in there. But, um, yeah, big, big loss for Brie Larson's character on that one. Yeah. I, uh, did we, have we talked at all about Alan Richson yet in this movie? Like at all? Not really. No, he is. I did not watch Reacher. He is so good. Like I like him so much. Like I, I might go watch Reacher now. There's something about that guy. He's really engaging. I like him a lot. Yeah, he, he was good. Uh, the other question I had coming out of this movie is where is the Tokyo Drift crew? Last time we saw them, weren't they like hanging out with Dom and the, the family and weren't they part of the family? They, they were. They've they were been building called the rocket in, car. Yeah, they've been called in for like side they side missions and stuff here and there. Um, man, that one guy, the, the main actor from Tokyo Drift, he's been on one of those like procedurals for like 10 years did he on NCIS or something? What's that actor? Yeah, name? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But he's, so he's a little busy. I mean, he's a little busy with that, I guess, but I'm telling um, you, Peter, with like the Avengers end game comparison, they're waiting for end or uh, uh, infinity war comparison. They're waiting for end game and the portal moment for all the Tokyo drift crew to come back through <laughs> for, for Mr. Nobody to come back through for like, you know, the most obscure characters who have ever popped up in this franchise to come in and like do, you know, one last uh, thing to really like, put Dante out of his misery once and for all kind of deal. Yeah. It's, it's almost certainly going to be something like that where, but again, that's where the budget on the next one. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, well, also, spe- I do you guys, wait, wait, before you move on from that, speaking of that moment, because I think you're right. Like the, this movie kind of splits up the team a bit and then at the, you know, next movie or the finale, whatever, whatever, whatever ends up being the finale, the third movie or next movie, we're going to see them all come together in this Avengers Endgame like moment. My question for you guys is will Brian participate in this moment? Regrettably, I think the answer is yes. Um, I, I, you know, I don't want that to be the case, but I think the technology is going to be so much better than it was in furious seven by the time that that movie comes out that they're going, they're, they're just not going to be able to resist, um, you know, narratively bringing that character back because it's been, we wrote a piece about this. Like it's, it's so strange that Brian is alive in this universe, but not participating in any of these, 
you know, global like, <laughs> world shaking events. Um, and I understand like they're, they're between a rock and a hard place. There's not really much they can do. Um, they're sort of damned if they do and damned if they don't in terms of like bringing him back and addressing that in any sort of meaningful way. Yeah, um, wait, wait, but- why, why, why hasn't Dante gone after uh, Brian? I didn't um, they address that in this movie where it was like when like the attack on the house happened and Mia said something about like Brian, like go to the place or something. Like apparently they have some hiding spot or something uh, like like yeah. if I recall, because that's the thing is they really even in this movie had to go out of their way to be like to sort of explain Brian not being there. And like <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that excuse of like Brian's got to be a dad and watch the kids like that only goes so far when you have like Vin Diesel's kid getting kidnapped. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and yeah, so I think, I think they're probably, they're not just not going to be able to resist, you know, bringing Paul Walker's brother or brothers back to do, you know, the sort of body work that they did in Furious seven and then using, you know, technology to bring him back just for maybe like one hero shot or something like that. And then that's it. But I I really think that that's going to happen as much as I kind of like don't want it to happen. I think, narratively that's where it's all going and i feel like vin diesel will will try, probably try to sell it as like you know this is the the cap on this whole thing and like we're honoring paul walker by like including yeah. him in this whole thing and narratively and, it know. almost has to but i do think that there's probably a way you can get around it with like if he shows up for whatever that big final action sequence is like at like a pivotal moment you could put all your money into like a couple of cgi close-up shots or something and then it's just like him in a car or something where like yeah you don't actually have to show up. So you, you could get away with minimal, but I just think because he's not dead in the universe, like you're right. They are between a rock and a hard place and it, and it does make more sense to address it than it does not to address it. Yes. Yeah. Story-wise, I think it makes complete sense. And I think it's going to have to be the pivotal moment of the climax of this movie that he ends up being the hero and end up saving the whole family. I don't think it's going to be just him showing up at the barbecue at the end. Of the, no, I know. think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else to be said about Fast 10, guys? I mean, we're, we didn't really talk that much about Jason Momoa, but like he is just incredible in this movie. Amazing. He really feels like, I mean, you know, he, he's like the Joker for the Dark Knight, but he's he's doing his own thing in like, you know, just the, the most sort of um, flamboyant way possible. That scene where he's sitting there and like painting the toenails of the dead guys and like just talking with them with his hair all up and he's wearing yep. a robe. And like, it's just unbelievable that that made it into, like Ryan said, a movie with a $340 million budget. Like, this, you know, as mainstream American, you know, blockbuster entertainment as we get, that's such a weird scene and it's such a weird performance. And he just really seemed to be relishing every single moment. And he's like, dancing through the frame and like his clothes are billowing and like all of it is just so perfect. And so, um, I don't know, extra in like the best way for this franchise. Yeah. He just, he just fits so well. Yeah. Coked up fashion icon, beach bum, Steven Seagal really worked for me. Like it was just like, <laughs> it was, it was, he was having a blast. And I think that I, I don't know what they paid him, but it wasn't enough. Like, I, I just really think that like, you talk about someone who, because they have like they've had other, you know these recent villains in these movies. Like, boy, did this person understand the movie he was in? Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, because you've had like the past two villains have just been so brooding and like just not fun and like yeah, and and boy, this really helped like make this movie enjoyable because he really and also he had 
I, I did like that his motivations for not killing people right away when he had every chance to do so actually made sense. Like mm-hmm. they, they, they did build that in because you do get tired of that. Like, especially as a guy who loves James Bond movies where you're like, man, just stop talking and put a bullet in his head. And then it's, this is all over, you know, it's just like, yeah. the, but he had a good reason for that. So I, I think he was the, the MVP of the movie hands down. Yeah. I think I said it earlier, but I think he, he understood the assignment more than some of the people that have been in this franchise for a few movies. <laughs> um, and I, I just loved him. Like I, I, I can't imagine this movie without him. It's kind of like, you know, he Ledger as the Joker in dark Knight. Uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure if I would even enjoy this movie with, without his performance. I, I wish I could see the script and see how much of it was improv how much of it like were his ideas on set. Uh, you know, what was, what was actually written there? Because I, I have a feeling it's been, a, it's a big gap from what was written and how he performed it. Yeah. But um, okay. Anyways, that brings us to the end of today's slash home day. Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.